Luke chapter 12. I'm picking selected texts in these six weeks. Before, I believe, I preached on passages from Ecclesiastes, for example, and I believe it was also 2 Corinthians. Now, over these six weeks, I'm doing Luke in the morning, selected texts, and I'm doing Leviticus in the evenings. That might sound hard. I'm trying to make it simple. I want to show you in this text, as simple as it is, its profundity, and this evening, as complex as it might seem, ultimately, its simplicity, as we see it's fulfilled in our Savior's cleansing blood. So we look now to what to do about worry, Luke 12, 22 to 31. And hear the words of our Savior. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them instead. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. May the Lord bless his blessing to this word of God today. Shall we pray? Lord, teach us these seemingly simple things that are impossible for us to do apart from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love getting to know you people. I've enjoyed getting to know you all, and I hope to continue to get to know you in the weeks, few weeks that are left. But I'd like to play a little game sometime and ask you a question. Which of you are Eeyores and which of you are Pollyannas? Now, you may not know what these names mean, but Eeyore was a friend, remember, of Winnie the Pooh, and he didn't want to celebrate his birthday. Nobody would remember, and he was always long-faced, and always depressed no matter what happened. He figured the best thing to do is to be sad about everything, and then if something comes along to surprise you, well, all the better, but don't plan on it. Some of you are Pollyannas, as in the Disney movie. Pollyanna was seemingly endlessly cheerful, nothing could get her down. Even when she got sick toward the end of the movie, she was so happy, you sort of wonder how she ever got to be that way. And, of course, there are songs and there are poems about how to be happy. An old song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. You can kind of snap your fingers to it, you know. Don't worry, be happy. Or Pharrell Williams, a few years ago, just sang the song over again. Happy, 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 happy. (laughs) Is that what Jesus is saying here? Just be happy? Just ignore the hard things in life? Just be a Pollyanna? On the other hand, you might say, well, maybe he would rather have us 
be Eeyore's, because how can we help but worry? Surely Jesus would allow us to worry. It's a natural thing, you might say, and that's why the songs that talk about happiness can be so cynical. Surely I have a right to be worried, you might say. Look at all the problems in the world. Look at all my problems, you might say to yourself. But our Father's care disperses all worry if we will but trust him. Now, the question, of course, is who is our Father? It depends on whom you are worshiping. If you're worshiping things, that old word mammon, worship riches, worship the things that you have, then, of course, you've got a lot to worry about because you can lose those things so easily. Or are you worshiping God and is he your Father? No one can serve two masters, Jesus says in Matthew 6. You will, either, you will not be able to serve God and money. Then in Luke chapter 12, a little bit earlier, Jesus talks about the man who thinks everything is great into the future. You will say, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says of him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 22, right after that passage. And he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, the older translations aren't too helpful. The old King James says, take no thought. Well, that's not what he means. We can certainly take thought, but not anxious thought, not worrisome thought. Worry, and I'll never forget when I heard this first from the mouth of a pastor, worry is a sin. What? People are worrying all the time. There's that much sin in your life and mine and the world? Absolutely. It's a strong statement if it is true, and if it is true, how common is this sin in your life? Don't forget, sin is rebellion against God. It is a false view of the world, of man, and of God that leads us to these kinds of sins. You might even argue the original sin was a sin of worry. Satan wanted to worry Adam and Eve. Did God really say this? Are you really going to die? You better do what you need to do for now and forget about God. Removing his trust from God and therefore, like all sin, the original sin is fruitless, foolish, and harmful. Do not be anxious. Again, Jesus' command is absolute. You don't get an exception because you have more troubles than most, or you happen to have a worrisome spirit. We hope about tomorrow, but sometimes that hope is really more like a wish that we worry about. Will we have enough to eat? Will we have enough to drink? I hope we do! But we find here that that kind of hope is really more like a form of worry. And because it is a sin, it has certain bad characteristics to it. If you're looking at your outline, and occasionally I give you the burden of filling in the blanks to see if you're paying attention. 
or to help you remember. So we have this question. It is unproductive or, if you want to fill in the blank, it is fruitless. Fruitless. It doesn't do anything. If a farmer plants seeds in the ground, I suppose he could spend all day staring at the seeds, looking for that first little sign of life. Oh, I hope, I hope I have a good harvest. Do you think the farmer stands around all the time doing that? No, he's out there busy, planting more seeds, praying for rain, (laughs) seeking to take out the weeds, seeking to do what he can that the Lord might bless ultimately. We find that this kind of hope doesn't really work. I hope it won't rain tomorrow. Or you might say, look, it's natural. My children have gone on a trip. Maybe they took an RV and went to some campgrounds recently. And you say to yourself, I hope they are safe on the road. And you might worry that they might not get there. Rather, you should pray. The moment you say, I hope, you should say, I pray instead. It's a, it's a really simple thing to do. You should always be saying, I pray. Even the common farewell when you say goodbye is really a prayer, God be with you. Do you know that? Goodbye. We don't see it in our English today, but in the old days, that's what people were saying. People were praying all the time that God would be with people in their daily expression of life. They said such things. And sometimes you say, well, I worry about my kids. Isn't that natural? Isn't that just a concern? Well, concern, of course, is fine. You can be concerned for them, but it's a tricky thing. It's hard not to mix that with anxiety. You're really saying, I'm worrying about my kids, unless at that moment you actually pray for them instead. You see, that's the key. It's frustrating because we would like to be in charge of more than we are. We are not in control of very much, and we sometimes say, I wish I could be in control of everything. Well, the world would be a mess if you were, but aside from that, even if it was a good thing that you hoped for and prayed for, you can't do anything about it. We desire to be like God, to wave our hands, or be like Superman and rescue people from all kinds of catastrophes. We might see articles about India, three trains crashing, and oh, horrible losing of life. We can't do anything about that. But the opposite of faith in God is worry and rebellion and sin. Sin, therefore, is fruitless. So why try to do something about it? We see... In verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? I'm not sure how long you're going to live, and I don't know. But I can't go, okay, be healthy. Okay, live a little longer. Now, some of the older versions talk about adding any distance to your height. Some of you wish maybe you were taller. That might be another good example. Do any of your your children have little measuring points at home? When you're 8, you're 9, you're 10, you'll mark it off. And when you're marking it off next year, you might try to stand your tiptoes and say, I'm a little taller than it looks. No, you're not. Sorry. It doesn't work. Don't kid yourself. You can't add a single cubit to your height or any kind of measure to your lifespan. It just doesn't work. Not only 
is it impossible to do anything with it? It's fruitless, but it's also, to come with a second F in your outline, it's also foolish. Now, for us not to worry seems foolish. Who wouldn't worry in this day and age? Misery loves company. And, of course, much of gathering together with other people is to complain and worry together about things. Oh, I'm sorry, worried about this and that. Sit around at lunch and complain or worry with your friends or whatever it might be. Now, for the one who does not know God, it's understandable because this world is in the hand of fate or chance or maybe ourselves, as weak as we are. But I do say if the world worries, you can understand. The Gentiles seek after these things. They think that they are going to pursue it themselves. It says in verse 30, all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. So I am really depressed. I was on a bulletin board recently, a sign-up of a bulletin board in our neighborhood. Talk about depressing. Everybody is out there. Every post is about, did you see that car going by? What about those people that were gathered in front of this house? What's going on with this guy that's hanging around the street? How many firemen are on the street? I went on and on and on. I get sick of it. I just got tired of it. I mean, sometimes people are helpfully warning you about certain things or whatever. But after a while, I'm thinking, I don't want to be drawn into that. I don't want to have to worry along with the world. And that's what Jesus is saying. You want to be like the world? Be like the world. But that's not a good idea. And then he gives you some wonderful examples, but all of these things are based upon what the Lord has for us in our salvation. Let's just stop for a moment. The Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We just prayed that. Did you pray it sincerely? Or do you think it's all up to you? Eh, those savings, not too good. We just moved. We have a lot of expenses. What's going to happen tomorrow? If I invest in the stock market, I don't know what's going to happen if things crash around us. What are we going to do into our older age and so forth and so on? But give us this day, every day, each day having enough trouble and each day having enough supply of its own. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? That's Romans 8. You probably know that passage. You say, well, I trust God for salvation, but daily bread, that's another. What do you mean? The salvation is the big thing. Everything else is little. Everything else is small. If God could provide salvation, don't you think it can give you everything else you need? This is what Jesus is saying. Your Father in heaven knows that you need these things. Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, I love the way Jesus is so simple. He was probably teaching outside, and as he did so, he could point to things. Bird flies by. Look. Look at the ravens. Look at them. This is a strange thing. They neither sow nor reap. They're not planting seeds in the ground. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. God doesn't. I have a granddaughter that I like taking out to different places, and we usually have snacks, usually goldfish and Once in a while, she'll drop one. I'll say, look, just feed the birds. Throw the little scraps out there, and before you know it, a bird will come down, a little sparrow, usually. Just grab it, and then she says, see, I fed the birds, exactly. But actually, God did it. God provided that morsel for that bird that day. And there they are. They're still flying around. Granted, their lives are pretty short, but they get fed 
every day. Don't you believe? I used to wonder how that happens. But it does. It does actually happen, and we don't think about that. And he says, consider this. Consider the birds. God feeds them. Now, if God feeds the birds, don't you think you're more important than the birds? That's what, he, and you are, no question about it. But he still cares for the birds. Don't think he cares for you? He does. And that's what Jesus says so clearly. God does not place life on earth or us in the world and then not care for us for the time he plans for us to live in this earth. It's not as though life is random. It's not as though God doesn't care or doesn't think or doesn't provide. God, you say you believe in the sovereignty of God. <laughs> I'd like to know how consistently you believe that. God is sovereign, but boy, am I worried. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. We are of little faith. All right, how about the flowers? We get to see them all around this time of year, especially in the south. You go into Augusta National Golf Tournament, over there in Augusta, Georgia. And what have they got? Those kind of flowers, what are they called? The azaleas, right? Those things are incredibly beautiful. If you have any azaleas, our first yard we had azaleas was in Charlotte. They were just a riot of color. Absolutely crazy when you think about it. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. What are the first flowers that pop up around here in the early spring? I think you know they're usually the daffodils, right? They're the long-stemmed ones with the yellow flowers. Did you know that there are thousands of kinds of daffodils? I had to really double-check on that one. All this variety of daffodils? I thought it was just a yellow flower. No. There's a yellow and orange, a little bit yellow and something else. I mean, yellow and, I don't know. There's a bunch of them. God is clothing them and going, see, what do you think about that one? Isn't that pretty clever? Isn't that showing my wisdom? Every time you look at a flower, you ought to be saying, God is incredible. He clothes those flowers of the field, and they didn't work for them. They didn't go to the store and say, let me pick out that outfit for today. God outfits them. God gives them their clothing and yet the flowers of the field are, as it says here, here today and gone tomorrow. Solomon had lots of riches. Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon could buy whatever he wanted, if you remember from the book of Ecclesiastes. But guess what? We're a part of the kingdom of God that's even greater than the kingdom of Solomon and he provides for us riches that will never fade, never fail. We have much more than Solomon. We are the child of a king. Now, the world is also foolish. We work all of our lives to try to grasp the things that we hope will last for now. It's a big rat race. I hate TV ads or any kind of ads because they seem to create in us a need that we didn't know we had. Oh, come and get this on sale. I'm going, I guess i got to have one. I don't know what it is, but it's on sale. And you go and get it. You go, I don't know, why did I buy this? It's just, it creates a kind of a need. It creates a desire for things that we don't have just because we don't have them. Oh, I need one of those. I need one of those. I'll take one of those. Thank you. The greed that we have in our country, especially because we have such wide variety. My wife spent some time way back 
in the early, in the late, when would it have been the 80s or 70s, in the Soviet Union. And when anybody from the Soviet Union would come over to visit this country, they would visit the grocery store as if it was a museum. 27 kinds of cornflakes. Why do you need all that? Just up and down, look at all the fruit. Look at all the blessings. And God puts them in the grocery store for us to just pick up. And yet we still run after all of those things. It becomes a foolish obsession. It's like having a car that you're endlessly polishing and you never drive it around. It's not only fruitless, it is just foolish to worry. Don't waste your time. All right, thirdly, worry is harmful. Now, we should know this. A way of life that doesn't want to get, a lo- get low, let go of these worries, we get in the habit of worrying. It's something we do from the time we get up to the time we go to bed at night. And even then, we keep on worrying until somehow we get asleep. Imagining all the bad things that could possibly happen and dwelling on that until the unknown future takes over your present life. How many problems at work are due to your attitude rather than the work itself? Ulcers, sleeplessness, irritability. Anybody irritable? What in the world is the solution? Well, I have good news for you. If sin is the problem, God's grace is the solution. That's why I like to tell people, confess your sin, because Christ died to deliver you from that sin. Whatever it is, so don't go, oh, it's a sin, oh, no. Yes, it's a terrible thing, but we know God has a solution in Jesus Christ. We have a hope for the destruction of sin entirely. God came to deal with sin in Jesus Christ. He comes and forgives us, and then he strengthens us, and then he saves us so that worry can actually be conquered. Now, these are simple truths. I spell them out for you. First of all, you are to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Progressively in your daily life, you come to the Lord and you admit he's in charge. It sometimes seems difficult. You trust God for the big things, but how about the little things? He can save from sin, but he can't provide you a job in time. Peter is in the waters. He wants to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then can I really walk on the water? Christ himself trusted the Father perfectly. And never, ever, think about this, Christ never worried. He expressed his desires to God, his prayer in the the Garden of Gethsemane is a beautiful expression of what he did instead of worrying. Lord, you've given me all these disciples, keep them. I pray for those, not only disciples here, but the people that will believe in you following this time. He prayed for you, he prayed for me. He can supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. The temptation in the wilderness was certainly an opportunity for Jesus to worry. But he says, man shall not live by bread alone. It's one of the lessons of this point. It's not just bread that we need. We need the bread of life. It's not just water that we need. We need the living water. His faith clothes us with his righteousness. Just Jesus had perfect faith. He gives us that faith more and more that we can trust in him more and more daily without worrying about the penalty for our worry even and for our sin. He has forgiven you and he will forgive you, but don't go worrying on purpose. 
And here's the second point. You have to cast worry aside. It's amazing that he says, do not worry. This is, this is, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. He forbids it. Now, I bet you you're talking to yourself all the time, although you probably don't say it, things to yourself out loud. Uh, you might sometimes. Somebody, what's that guy do? Who's he talking to? Well, you're talking to yourself all the time inside your mind, Right? Right now you're thinking to yourself, why in the world is he talking about this? Or this is really true. Or whatever it is you're thinking to yourself, you've got to actually say, I must not worry. You are to cast worry aside. You are to take yourself in hand and say, self, what do you think you're doing? What are you, some kind of an idiot? You think you're in charge of the world? You can't do hardly anything in life. Unless God enables well, nothing at all, unless God enables you and anything else in other people's lives you have very little to do with. So what are you going to do? Go to the God of the universe. Good idea. What a great idea. And therefore, denounce your sin. Say, this is terrible. I can't believe I'm doing it again. Identify it as sin. Ask God to help you overcome it. Know that in Christ you are more than conquerors and that he gives to his beloved even in sleep. Christ himself cast worry aside. And we're powerless to do so unless in Christ we look to him for forgiveness, for strength, for the power of the Spirit, praying for release progressively from worry. So you are to trust the Lord, you are to cast worry aside, and you are to seek his kingdom. This one we might miss. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added unto you. Instead of doing what doesn't do anything, Dedicate yourself to that which will never disappear. Never. The kingdom of God will last forever. You're out there to work in his part of the field that God has given you here at Providence Church. Be busy. Do stuff for people, for one another. Be hospitable. You do that a lot. I see it all the time. You have daily chores at home, children. Do those chores. Stop worrying. You have a job. Do your job. You have a family. Take care of your family. You're a citizen of this country. Do something about it. Pray at least and help your neighbors. We find that Jesus Christ has brought us to be a part of a kingdom that shall never fade away. Seek his kingdom first. We sang, Great is your faithfulness. It comes from the book of Lamentations, which means weeping. Get this. In the book of weeping, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, there it is, you're talking to yourself. What are you supposed to say to yourself? Self, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Now, there will still be troubles and big troubles. I'm not saying you have a trouble-free life. I'm saying in those troubles... Resort to God and his power, strength, and peace. Jesus Christ himself, facing the trouble of the cross, did that very thing. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, the Bible says, that we might endure God's providence, as hard as it might seem to us, with patience but giving us each day enough faith to handle all that we have to face by the grace of God because his compassions, according to Lamentations, are new every morning. I love to think about this. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
But each day has enough blessing of its own. That's all you need, day by day. His compassions are new every morning, just like the manna fell from heaven every day, except twice as much to let them rest. That was great. Jesus Christ himself sought the kingdom and won it so that we need not worry about the past, the present, or the future. So, you Pollyannas out there, trust in the Lord, not in good luck. You Eeyores, stop your frowning, do not worry, trust in the Lord. In fact, the last section, verse 32, says, Fear not, little flock, when they were worried, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that enough? Shall we pray? Lord God, forgive us for our failures our sins of worry. We might commend our souls unto you with the words of Psalm 37, fret not because of evildoers. But may we entrust ourselves unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.